The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church/contact. Uh, we're going to dig into God's Word, give you some depth and context to the subject today if you're running on fumes in your finances, but I brought the short, simple version too, okay? I'm going to give you the simple version. I know there's a lot of people in our church like, I only believe it if I see it in the Bible. That's a good policy in life. I only believe it if I see it in the Bible. But uh, So I brought it. It's in God's Word for you, okay? The short, simple answer. I can solve almost all of your financial problems today if you'll just do one thing. And it's in the Bible. It's right in the middle of my Bible, Johnny. You ready? I'm going to show it to you, okay? Here it is. It's a pair of scissors right in the middle of my Bible. If you'll just take that and cut up all your credit cards, go ahead and cut that greedy heart out of you that like wants to keep going into debt for stuff, you'll have way less financial problems, I promise. That's what it'll take. That's all it'll really take. So we're going to dig in a little deeper, but that's the short version. If you'll stop spending money you don't have, you'll be way more peaceful financially, all right? That's a good uh, tip. So you can write that one down, take a bunch of notes on that, or uh, go ahead and call and buy the book um, in that video before we started today. So if you want to follow along with us, we're going to be all over the place today. But the very first book, verse we're going to look at is in Proverbs chapter 29. If you want to turn there or, or tap there or whatever, it'll be on the screen too. And uh, we're talking today about running on fumes in your finances. And I know this is a subject that people don't like to talk about. It's sensitive and they definitely don't want to be confronted on it. But you came to the wrong place today if you don't want that to happen. So we're going to do our best to just give you truth and grace from God's Word. And as always, you'll be free to do whatever you want with that. Because finances are the number one ranked reason why people get divorced. And if you took a survey or a poll of any cross-section of America a week ago, finances, personal finances, the economy, inflation, were the number one um, motivators or, or reasons people gave behind their voting choices a week ago. And so it's on people's mind. You can't hardly pull up to a gas pump anymore without somebody you don't even know in the pump beside you wanting to talk about the price of fuel. And so it's like it's on everybody's minds. It's, it's in everybody's uh, conversations. It's out there, people talking about finances. And so many of us are struggling with them, and I want you to be free. Um, it's listed every year as the number one source of anxiety in Americans, finances. And so it's like, I want you to be free from that. I want you to know what God has to say about it. Um, and I know it's uncomfortable. I know it might feel awkward. Nobody's going to ask to see your checkbook today. Nobody's going to ask you to bring a big statement next week for us to inspect. We just want you to hear the truth from God's word. And so maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking like, I wish I'd known what David was going to preach about this morning. I would have just slept in today, right? Uh, if that's you, it's a good chance you're running on fumes in your finances. It's a good thing you're here. So I'm going to do the same thing I've done uh, every week so far. and We'll do every week of this series. I want to uh, just give you some indicators that you might be running on fumes in your finances. So maybe make a little list. I just uh, wrote down five of them, but five indicators you might be running on fumes in your finances. Uh, here you go. Here's the first one. You ready? Living on credit. If you're living on credit, you are running on fumes financially. Was that like a preach, I'm living on credit? Or what was that? I was like, yeah, preach, preach. But uh, yeah, if you're living on credit, the average American spends 102 to 105% of what they make each year, which means that every year you live, you're getting about 2 to 5% further behind the eight ball. Does that make sense? 
And so uh, we don't want you to do that. The, the more you did, some of you know that. Some of you are like, hey, when I was 23, I didn't know anything. Now I've been married for 15 years and we owe thousands, right? And so uh, you, you see that happening in your life, like mounting slowly but steadily. And I get it that you get stuff in the mail and you're pre-approved and you've been selected and you're elite. I get all that, you know, but you can't trust those um, credit card offers. And so uh, you want to live not in debt. The America has accumulated $16.5 trillion of personal debt as of September this year. If you take every adult human in America and you divide that out, that equals $64,637 of personal debt per person in our country. And maybe you're like, I'm doing good. I'm only half that. Or, you know, maybe, maybe you're like, I'm double that, you know, but that's the average, $64,637 of personal debt and it's everywhere. You can go into debt for just about anything anymore. Um, Walmart credit cards. Amazon has their own credit card. Everybody's got their own credit card now. And so whether it's like a personal loan, an auto loan, a loan to get that boat you have to have, a home equity line of credit, a mortgage, a personal, I don't, any, they're everywhere. You can borrow to get everything. And so uh, we want to kind of identify that in our life. That's a definite indicator you're running on fumes. If you can look at your life and see we're, we're living on credit, we have credit, um, you're running on fumes in your finances. Here's the second one. You ready? No savings. You have no savings. 64% of Americans say that they live paycheck to paycheck. Paycheck to paycheck just means if you were to miss one paycheck, you would not be able to pay the bills. If you were to miss one paycheck, you'd be paying late fees or reconnect fees or having to catch something up the next month and pay extra on it because you didn't have enough bills to cover it that month. So 64% of adult Americans say they're living paycheck to paycheck. That's uh, indicator number two. Indicator number three, you're not tithing. If you're here and you're a Christian and Jesus doesn't get the first 10% of everything you make, you are running on fumes in your finances. We're going to look at it in God's Word in a second. But there was a survey done of those claiming in America to be evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians, that's basically everybody you would know that goes to a Christian church um, outside of Catholics, right? They would not consider themselves evangelical Christians, but uh, they did a survey of evangelical Christians that would represent this church, right? And they found that 13% of evangelical Christians tithe, 13% actually obey God and give the first 10% of what they own. Tithe, in case you're not like church, churchified, I don't know if that's a real word, but a tithe is just the very first 10% of everything I make. Everything, every money I earn, first 10% of it goes to God. And so only 13% of those who say they're Christians actually follow God's instruction in that area. I don't know if you want to know this or not, and I don't know what everybody in our church makes, and I love not knowing what everybody makes. Probably discourage me if I knew what some of you made. But uh, so I love not knowing, but I did my best guesstimate, okay, my best guesstimate. You want to know? I think our church is doing okay. We teach on giving, and we teach what God has to say about tithing, and the best guess I can come up with, this might be off a little bit, but the best guess I can come up with is we have about 24% of our adults in our church tithe. So maybe you can look at that and be like, that's encouraging. It's better than the national average. I don't know. Or maybe you look at that and you think like only one out of four of the adults sitting here right now are actually obeying God in this area. And so you're probably, if you're not, you're running on fumes in your finances. And I'll show you why in just a minute. Of that same survey, it found that 50% of those who go to church and claim to be evangelical Christians in the United States give through their church to God less than 1% of their income each year. 
Nobody would say they give nothing. Everybody would be like, I throw a 20 in or I put a five in here or there. And so it was like less but 50% of the people who say they're Christians have decided they can just defy God in that one area. And that's okay. Really, 87% have decided they can just defy God in that one area, and it's okay. I can still tell everybody, I'm a Christian, I'm good with the Lord, I'm right with Him, I'm doing the right things and striving to do the right thing. Indicator number four, you ready? Late payments. Late payments. If you pay your bills late, if you pay late fees, if you're paying interest, this is an indicator you are running on fumes in your finances. 32% of Americans admit that in the past six months, they've had to pay at least one late fee for a bill they didn't pay on time, 32%. And in the past 12 months, the number goes to 51% of adult Americans say that just in the past 12 months, they've had to pay extra fees because they couldn't pay a bill on time. So maybe that's you. It doesn't put you in the minority. It puts you in the majority, right? But that is definitely an indicator you're running on fumes in your finances. And then indicator number five, unknown finances. You have unknown finances. You have bills, and you don't even know when they're due. You have accounts, and you don't even know what the balance is. <laughs> you, have, you have something you haven't logged into for so long, there's no way you remember the password. But you have money you can't find, balances you have no clue about, and bills you don't even know are coming. You're the person that every year around December 20th is like, oh my goodness, Christmas is this week. But it's the same week every year, you know? So you're that kind of person. You have unknown finances. You are probably living, running on fumes in your finances. So that's my question for you today. You ready? If you could just be honest, do a little checkup from the neck up, selfie vow on your, on your own life, and look at your own finances. Are you running on fumes in your finances? Not, not does the pastor approve of you, or is this church going to check out your finances? Just being honest, is it stressing you out? Does it steal your peace? Does it affect your relationships? Does it bother you and make you worry? And I'm just here today to tell you there's a better way. It's not my way. I know what my way looks like because we lived that way for a decade. Not a decade, I guess, but if you count like our dating life, right? Uh, Almost a decade, maybe. We lived that way. And then about a decade ago, we shifted all that, just started like doubling down on all of God's principles and obeying them. And it's been like super freeing. And we're not perfect. We're not perfect. I walk through the store and I want things just like you do. I have to avoid going to Lowe's as much as possible because there's always a tool I don't have and I don't even know what I'd use it for. But man, it looks good. It looked great in our basement, you know. And so uh, every time I go to the grocery store and I'm hungry, I want to buy food too, you know, and just pig out and eat it all. And, and so it's like, I have to watch myself no different than you. I want the same trips. I want the same stuff. I have the same desires you have. But I just don't want to run on fumes in my finances. We used to fight about finances quite a bit. And this isn't like a brag on us session. But I'm just saying, like, I can't even remember us. Like, I can't even remember, like, the last fight we had about money. You know what I mean? Can't even, we just don't fight about it anymore. It's like the fight's between the budget now and each other. So. But, um, and so you can have a different approach to life. You can be happier. Let me ask you this. Have you ever thought to yourself like, hey, I want this thing and it'll make me happy. Or I want this relationship, it'll make me happy. And then you get the thing or you get into the relationship and soon you realize like it doesn't actually make you happy. It's good, it's good evidence for the fact that like we really shouldn't always just believe what we think, you know, because sometimes I've thought things or people are going to make me happy and then I get into it and I realize like I'm not very happy after all. So I don't always know what's going to make me happy. But there is one trait that all happy people share. 
People who are happy most of the time, they all share one trait in common. I'm going to give you the trait today. You can size up your own life and decide if you have this trait for yourself, if you have it in your relationships with your family, your spouse, whoever. You can decide if you have this trait. Here's the trait. You ready? They all share peace. They all have peace. They don't stress. They're not sweating the little stuff. They're not laying down at night and unable to go to sleep. They all have peace. The, the, the trick is like, well, what gives me that peace? What makes me happy, you know? And it's easy to be like, uh, you know, in church, like, well, money doesn't make me happy. But the truth is deep down, all of us kind of believe more money would make us happy. And you come to church and the preacher's like, money won't make you happy. And then you sit there and you nod your head in agreement. But deep down, you're thinking like, I'd like to give it a try, you know? Put, put, put me in that test. Like, where do I sign up for the test to see if more money will make me happy? Because I'll, I'll take some more of it and see if it makes me feel better on the inside. And so that's kind of our approach. We sit in church and we hear the preacher say that over and over, but we don't really buy it. All happy people have this peace. And if you survey them, you find out that most of the time that peace doesn't trace back to stuff. It almost always traces back to people because peace doesn't come from what? It comes from who? And so they have these relationships that seem to have peace. And so they feel peace. And so therefore they feel happy. And so there's this connection in our heads, at least, between money and happiness. Now, I want to tell you today, okay, there is... There is a connection between money and happiness. There is. The mistake we make, and I'll put it up on the board for you, okay, so you can write it down because it's really long. Okay, here's the mistake. You ready? The mistake we make is thinking that the connection between money and happiness is this word, more. Okay? What did you say? What did Raven say? Oh. oh. You thought it was going to be real long. She's going to take a picture of it. It's so hard to write. It's four letters, right? That's the mistake we make. It's like being at Life Group. Raven goofing around. All right, so that's the mistake we make, right? There is a connection between money and our happiness, but the mistake we make is we think the connection is the word more. But all throughout the Bible, that's not the connection between money and happiness. In the Bible, in God's instruction to us, the connection between money and happiness is actually the word manage. And what you need to be happier financially to have more peace is not more money. It's just better management of the money you already have. I could prove to you right now that you're already wealthier than most of the world. Because the statistics say if you have the clothes on your back and at least two outfits in your closet at home, anybody got less than that? Then you have more wealth than half the world. If you right now have a handful of loose change at your house or in your car, you have more wealth than half the world. So the answer to our happiness financially, to our peace financially, isn't more. It's actually managed. And God doubles down on that over and over again. Never once does he say, if only you could earn more money, you'd be happier. But over and over again, he talks about our ability to manage what he's given us. And so this idea of like, I need to have more money it lends this question. The question we hear in our heads is like, well, how much more money? How much more money do you need to be happy? And I can answer that question for everybody in the room. The, the answer to that question is more than I have right now, right? If you're thinking like, yeah, how much more money do I need to be happy? The answer is more than I have right now. 
But no amount of money will actually ever make you happy. And everybody kind of knows that to be true. Everybody knows or has seen stories of millionaires who don't seem to be happy, of billionaires that seem to be getting divorced, of people that seem to have a lot of money and yet don't seem to be very peaceful in their life. And so here's the lie we believe, ready? The lie we believe is that if I had more, I'd be secure. If I had more, I'd be secure. But that's a lie. You, you can prove it. Like, you just look around your life and you know that. You know that there are people that have more money than you do, but they don't seem to be very secure. So that can't be the only answer. That can't be the answer, right? It's a lie. Money can't make you secure. But whatever it is you look to to feel secure, that's your God. Whatever it is in your life that makes you feel complete and secure, that's the thing you're trusting in as your God. And the reason I know that this statement is a lie is because I know that the very next statement I'm going to give you is true. And you're going to agree with me, I think. So here's the truth. You ready? Everything, money included, can be taken from you. Except Jesus. Could somebody not take my money? Could I not be robbed? Cheated? Could they not embezzle my Roth IRA? Could, could the church not like stop giving and be like, we're not going to pay you anymore? Like, could somebody not break into our house and steal all of our stuff? Could I not get thrown into a dungeon somewhere, a prison? Could our country not be taken over, be enslaved, forced to work and give all of our money to somebody else? Could everything I have not be taken except for Jesus? Which is why he's the only valid God. Which is why he's the only God I can trust to actually make me feel secure. Jesus, the only thing that can't be taken from me. So here you are again today. I'm going to give you the truth from God's word. You, again, get the choice to go out of here and be a doer of the word. Or go out of here and just hear it. Let it go in one ear and out the other. Here's how the Bible would say it. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. When people do not accept divine guidance. That's divine guidance. They run wild, but whoever obeys the law, that's the law, is joyful. Ready for some joy? Ready for some financial peace? We can make it happen today. It's super simple. It doesn't have to be very long or very difficult. It'll be hard to do. It won't cost you, it, it won't cost you any money, but it'll cost you everything you got in your heart. It's completely free, but it'll cost you all that you are. It's God's way or your way, and like always, you get to choose. So let me spend the rest of our time today, I want to just give you six simple little financial tips from God's Word that you can use to refuel your financial tank. If you're running on fumes, if you're stressed about money, if you're worried about how you're going to pay the next bill, or when you're going to have the next fight about finances, we can solve it all today from God's Word, if you'll just do what He says. So let me give you six of them, and they have to go in this order. It's important to do it God's way and in God's order. You ready? So here they are. Here's the first one. Dedicate everything to God. you got to make a decision in your life about who's going to be the king. And most of us, when we grow up, we are the king. And so at some point, you either got to make God the king or keep living your own way. But your own way is going to be financially running on fumes. Here's how the Bible says it in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all its people belong to him. He's telling us he's the king. You just got to dedicate everything to him. You say, all my money? Yep, 
All of my time? Absolutely. All of my ability? Of course. What makes you think that some part of you gets to do what you want and slap the king in the face? Either he is the king or you're the king. There's no middle ground. There's no, I put a 20 in the offering plate and I feel good about myself that week. There's no, I come to church when I feel like it and I feel okay about myself. There's no, like, I I live my faith when I want to and then when it's hard, I kind of do whatever I want. No, then you're the king. It's okay, you get to make that choice. I mean, you have to stand before the Lord someday. Like, you get to make that choice. Just stop fronting as if you're a Christian. Either Jesus is the king or you are. But everything in the earth belongs to him. So either he gets it all or he gets none of it. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. That verse is written wrong. Like, here we go again. If I was God, it's a bad world, you know, if I was God. But if I was God and I was writing that, what it should say there is you cannot serve God and the devil, right? Or you cannot serve God and evil, right? But it's like Jesus knew that the chief competitor for our heart in this world was going to be money. So over and over again, more than he talked about anything else, he talked about money. He used it more than anything else as an example of what he was trying to teach. Because he knew that there would be nothing that would pull at our heart against allegiance to God like finances and stuff. And isn't that true if we look at our life? So is everything dedicated to the Lord or not? Maybe you got to start right there today. Just a simple prayer, a simple conversation. God, up until this point in my life, I've been leveraging everything in my life for myself. But from this moment forward, I'm dedicating it all to you. Maybe that's your step of faith today. Number two, how to refuel your finances. You ready? Create a plan. Create a plan. The word for that in the culture today is a budget, right? But God just calls it a plan. Create a plan. It equals a budget. Proverbs 21 verse 5 says, good planning, that's a budget, good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Here we go. Poverty or prosperity, the choice is yours. God's way or your own way. Debt or trusting God, you get to pick. Create a plan. I I read this quote this week. I don't know if this is funny or not, but it said, uh, they say money talks, but mine just seems to silently walk away. That's like a Kenny joke a little bit. It's kind of like a Kenny joke. If Kenny told that, people would laugh. And then somebody here would be like, well, Kenny just delivers it better. I don't know who says that. I can't remember who says that. But So, uh, yeah. They say money talks, but mine just seems to silently walk away. And Dave Ramsey would say a budget is just telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. Telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So if you're here today, you've never done a budget, we'd love to help you with that. Just come track us down. We'll show you how to do it. We got ours down to just one simple page. You just need to know four things in your budget. You need to know what you own, what you owe, what you earn, and what you spend. What you own, what you owe, what you earn, and what, you're, what you spend. And a one-page budget can track all that for you. You can break the fog, fill up the tank financially, and stop living unknown. I don't know when stuff's due. I don't know how much we make. I don't know what balance is in that. It can be changed just like that, super easy and simple. So you make a plan. Create a plan. Ready? Number three, give generously. Give generously. Kind of touched on this in the not tithing thing and the uh, indicators. But give generously. And I want you to know generosity 
has nothing to do with your money. Nothing. And everybody in the room knows that to be true too. Because everybody has known or has seen really rich people that aren't generous. Right? And everybody in the room has either known or seen somebody who doesn't seem to have very much money at all, but is really generous. So it has nothing to do with your money. Your, your generosity has nothing to do with your finances. It has everything to do with your heart. Because rich people aren't generous. Poor people aren't generous. People who have a lot of extra aren't generous. You know who's generous? Generous people. Like, that's who's generous. And generosity always comes from gratitude. So the more grateful I am for what God has given me, the more I give away. The more grateful I am for what God has done for me, the more I do for him. The more grateful I am to Jesus, the more generous I will be in my life. So that always starts with tithing. I give God my first and best. But that isn't where the Bible starts. I got to give God 10%. No, you got to give God everything. See, I'm supposed to sign a check over to the church for everything. That's not what I said, but we'll take it if you want. No, I'm just kidding. But like, you start with tithing. I give God the first 10% of everything I make. Then the Bible talks about giving an offering. I go above that and I give God an offering that I commit to him out of a joyful heart. Then I live extravagantly. I help those around me. I give and I give and I give. And the more I give, the more I kind of want to give. And then beyond that, I take all the rest of my money and I figure out, like, how can I leverage this money that's left the best possible way I can for the Lord? Should I be homeless? No, I'm not saying that. Pay your bills. Obviously, we're talking about that. But man, there's a way you can leverage every dime for the Lord if you're actually thinking about it, if you're actually trying to live a generous life. In our, in our church, I, like I said, I know that we probably have somewhere around one out of four of us that tithe in this church. I get it. Maybe that makes us a good church. I don't know. But to me, it's hard to like swallow that. It's hard to swallow when people come to me and ask me how much progress we're making on our building. And I'm like, is God really going to bless us? like what we're doing. I don't know this for sure. I don't have like this direct line. God hasn't showed up and had a heart to heart with me on this. But it is hard for me to believe that God is going to bless us with some million and a half dollar building when three out of four of us are flipping them off with our finances. It's hard for me to believe that. Maybe he will. Maybe it's like Sodom and Gomorrah where we're like, God, if there's just 10 righteous, will you bless us? If there's just one or two, like, right, will you spare the city? Like, I don't know, maybe it's like that. But it is hard to believe that three out of four of us are going to just do whatever we want, make ourselves the king, and then keep asking God to pour out a bunch of blessing on us. Maybe we're living under God's curse and don't even know it. He said this exact same thing to the nation of Israel in Malachi. Let me read it to you. Malachi chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. They weren't tithing. This is what he says. You are under a curse. For your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open up the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. This is the only thing in the whole Bible God says to us to test him on. Put me to the test. I know it was just 10 bucks somebody gave you for your birthday. Give me the first dollar. I know it was just a $40 Christmas present. Give me the first $4. 
I know it was a bonus check. It wasn't really in your regular pay. Give me the first 10%. See if I won't bless you. See if I won't open up the windows of heaven and just dump blessing on your life. Put me to the test. If not, if not, you're living under a curse. I don't like it either. I wish we never had to talk about money. It's awkward. I get it. But God knows there's nothing that's going to pull our heart away from him like our finances. Proverbs 11 verse 25 says this. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. So do you think like there's something to this idea of like generosity fills up our financial fuel tank? That it refreshes us? Is it in there or not? Like, are we just making it up? Am I just trying to guilt you into like giving our church some money? If you really feel like that, I want to beg you not to give our church money. Seriously, like take your check, write it out, go give it to some other church. Like, I'm good with that. I don't want your money. I want your heart. God's not after you. think God needs your check? God wants your heart. So if you feel like we're just after your money at this church, I want to beg you, just like write out the check, go online, go somewhere. Give them your money. I want you to be generous because I don't want you to be running on fumes in your finances. I don't want your marriage to end because of it. I don't want you to be stressed all the time. I don't want you to lose sleep because you're worried about your money. I want you to do it God's way and thrive. Here's the fourth one. You ready? Eliminate debt. Eliminate debt. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, Just as the rich people rule the poor, so the borrower is slave to the lender. <laughs> Where's Will? Oh, Will. Before church, Will, Will says that Brad's is like a slave driver when he's setting up for church. I said, I might just swap that out and be like, just like Will is a slave to Brad, so the borrower is slave to the lender. And Brad thought that was funny. Then told Will to get back to work. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so is it in there or not? Who, who wants, it's amazing in a country of people who have fought so hard to end slavery, probably more so than any nation ever in history. And we have, are so quick to defend freedom that we so easily give away our own freedom to some bank and just live as a slave to a borrower, to a lender. It's amazing how quickly we do that. For a people that seem to have such a grasp on the wickedness or the evils of slavery and the value and the overwhelming wealth that comes with freedom. We just hand it over like it's nothing. So eliminate debt. One study showed that on average, people who go to a restaurant or a store will spend 47% more if they're using a credit card versus cash. I remember those days. I've been that person. And then you're 10 years down the road paying for a tank of gas you bought 12 years ago. It's like, what? Like, but I just had to have that meal at the Olive Garden, and then like 11 years later, you're still paying on it. It's like, what? What are we doing, you know? I asked Kenny if this was cheesy before church. He told me it probably was, but I could still use it. Stephanie, too. So I'm just going to say it, but I want you to know that I really feel a little self-conscious about it. <laughs> and so uh, I have in my notes there, like, you can have a new master today, and his last name doesn't have to be card anymore. Is that cheesy Tuesday? It's pretty cheesy. It's pretty cheesy. But it's true, right? It's true. Okay. All right. Just cut that out of the podcast for anybody who wasn't here. Is that? 
But it's true, you can, right? All right, tip number five. You ready? Tip number five. Save and invest. Save and invest. You ready? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 20. Is it what God says or not? The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. Is it true or not? I'm just asking if it's true. Like if it's what God says or not. Save and invest. Proverbs chapter 6, I love how it puts it. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6 says, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Verse 8, They labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter, saving, storing up for a rainy day. Do you get it? I did the math yesterday morning, just so you wouldn't think I was making it up. But if you're 23 years old, you start saving $100 a month. $100 a month. That's like, uh, I don't know, Netflix and your cell phone probably. That's what that costs, you know, something like that. $100 a month from when you're 23 to when you're 65. At 65, you'll retire with $1,073,000. Sounds like a good retirement, right? That's all it'll take. You can do the math on your own, but that's you only putting in about fifty, fifty-five thousand dollars $55,000 to it over the 42 years. $100 a month. If we would just save a little, invest a little, or we can, or do it your own way. Just work till you die. It's all good. Whatever you want to do, you get the choice. If you want to work till you're 95, go for it. Live it up. YOLO, you know. But if you want to do it God's way, save and invest. We can do it God's way. Number six, ready? Principle number six. Enjoy the rest. That's it. Just enjoy the rest. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 through 13 says this. I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty stomach, with plenty or with little, for I can do all things. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Now I know Philippians 4, 13 is that's not what everybody takes it to mean because they don't ever read the verses around it. I know for a lot of people, it's just a misspelled tattoo on your arm, like Michael. Or, or for other people, it's just something you say when you kneel down in the end zone and cross your heart like Tim Tebow or something. I know for everybody, it's just this catchphrase that's on a bunch of wall art at Hobby Lobby. It's like, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And we take that to mean like, I can rise above and do all these great things for the Lord if he's with me. But that isn't the context. The context of the verse is I can survive and thrive with Jesus on my side even when I have nothing, when I'm poor, when I have no food. That's the context of the passage. I've learned how to be content no matter what the financial situation. I can do anything with Jesus on my side. That's the context. It's not about scaling Everest or winning the big game. It's about how to follow Jesus even when times are hard. That's the context of the verse. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16 and 17 says it this way. Better to have a little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure and inner turmoil. And then I love verse 17. A bowl of vegetables with someone you love is, is better than a steak with someone you hate. Now, keep that in mind next time you go out on a date with somebody. It's like they're across the table eating a steak and you're paying for it. You're like, I would much rather be here with somebody else eating a bowl of vegetables. But it's like, yeah, do you get it? 
This is God's formula for financial freedom. It's got to go in that order. It's got to be all of those pieces. I start with dedicating everything I have to Him. I create a plan, a budget. I give generously. I get rid of, I cut out, eliminate all the debt in my life. I save and invest, and then I enjoy the rest. The problem with enjoying the rest is we don't like to live that way. We like to enjoy the best, not the rest, right? But you know who enjoys the best? The king. The king's who gets to enjoy the best. Not, not us. I mean, unless we're going to keep being the king. And that's really the choice you're faced with today. Are you going to keep being the king of your life? Or are you going to put Jesus on the throne? You can change all that right now. You can shift your family tree. Man, I just remember, like, I remember those days of living paycheck to paycheck, being in debt, paying late fees, not sure if you can make the bills, talking with creditors, talking with utilities, talking with places. Can you give me another week? Can you wait? I remember all those days, not having anything in our bank account, not sure what we we're going to do next, all that. I remember all that. Everything's on credit. Everything's on debt, paying interest rate, buying a $20,000 car, paying $35,000 for it. I remember all that. I know just what it's like. I know how scary it is. I remember the day we cut up our last credit card and I was scared. And when I felt scared, what hit me in that moment was maybe for the first time, actually, this has been my God. And I didn't even know it. It was just so comfortable to me. I didn't even know that Discover card had become my God. But when I was about to cut up that last one, I remember thinking like, what if something happens? Because up until that point, Discover Card had been what I trusted. You get it? I can do it God's way or I can do it my way. And I remember being scared to do it God's way. But it has worked out so well. And I've never met anybody it hasn't worked out well for. Never. I can't find one person that's like, ah, started giving to God generously. Started doing a budget. Started saving and investing some money. Refused to go into debt anymore. I am so miserable. I've never met that person. But I've met all kinds of people who are so stressed they're getting divorced. So frustrated, don't know what to do less or next. They're losing their house. They're overwhelmed by debt. But they just got to have and they got to have and they got to have. Really. Can stop believing the lie today and just start managing your resources God's way. It's simple, it's just hard to do. Simple to explain, hard to do, like a Rubik's Cube. I can tell you how to do it in like 10 seconds. It's just hard to do it. It's just hard to make that leap. I was listening to this sermon, I don't know, a week or two ago by Andy Stanley about finances, actually. And he shared this thing. I want to do my best to kind of like regurgitate to you if I can. But um, he said, when you get to the end of your life, he said he's never been at somebody's deathbed. He's never met anybody that talks on their deathbed about all the stuff they wish they had. Instead, in that moment, they only talk about all the relationships they've had. And if you've ever been to a funeral, I've been to quite a bit of funerals in my life so far, but if you've ever been to a funeral, nobody stands around at a funeral when somebody dies and talks about all the stuff they had. Nobody does that. They stand around at the funeral and they tell a bunch of stories about the person's life. And Andy Stanley just said to his church, and the same thing I'd want to say to you today, it's like, you get to choose going out of here today. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? Because at the end of your life, the stories are going to be the only thing that matter. 
And I think like at our church sometimes like when I am standing in the back of the room watching everybody sing or uh, I was sitting back there like where Carlos and Crystal are right now watching Brad and Emma baptize people the last time we did baptisms. And every time I get to see stuff like that or I'm back at the table running the sound or the computer and Kenny's up here preaching or uh, I remember the one time Kenny preached and Kenny, we were doing a baptism service that day. This was years ago now. And Kenny preached and uh, he got to the end of the service and he was like, if you want to get baptized and follow Jesus, just come up and get baptized. And like, I don't know, 8,000 people came up and got baptized that day. And I'm sitting in the back and there's always that part of you that's like, man, I wish that would happen when I preach, you know? But then there was this other part of me that sat back there and I was like, man, that's part of my story. Every dollar that I put into the offering at Three Strands makes me part of every story that Three Strands does. And every person that Gabriel Kasanga leads to Jesus in the Congo, and every person that Dylan Jones leads to Jesus in Lebanon, and every person that Courtney Drury leads to Jesus at the University of the Cumberlands, and every person that Larry Frisbee leads to Jesus in Cuba, like, that's all part of my story. Because I give here. I get to give generously to God. And I don't want to make our church sound like there's nobody generous in our church. Man, there's some people in our church super generous. And I know there's people in our church that are giving Jesus 20, 25, 30% of their income and living off the rest. But it's like every time I give a dollar, I become part of this next story. And every person that gets baptized is somebody I helped to baptize, whether I did it or not. Every person that walks through the doors and gives their life to Jesus is part of my story now. That's how it works. And when I get to the end of my life, I want stories. I want to look back and be like, yeah, Jesus, I was part of something great for you. I gave everything I had. That building we're going to build, that's part of my story. The people we're going to reach for Jesus next year, that's part of my story. Man, what I hope for you is you won't sit it out for the sake of some more stuff but that you'll start accumulating some stories in your life. Just doing it God's way. You want to talk far, further about any of it? We'd love to walk you through all of it. How do you do it? How do you create a plan? How do you give more generously? How do you get rid of the debt? How do you save and invest? What's the wisest thing to do? How do I live off of just the rest? Those are great questions. Let's talk through it. A couple months from now, we're going to do a whole series on finances. But today, I just wanted to hit you with the highlights. This is God's plan and his word for how to do it. You get to choose today to go out of the door and accumulate more stuff or to start accumulating more stories. It's on you to be a hearer of the word or a doer of the word. So let me pray over you and then we'll just cry out to God. Hopefully that we're listening to him because he's speaking today. We're not getting you emotionally hyped up. I'm not trying to get you like dance a ring around some fire and throw all your money into the middle of a bucket or something like that. That's garbage. I'm trying to give you God's truth and his grace. And say, if you'll go out of here and just put his truth into practice, he will open up the windows of heaven and he will bless you in ways you can't even imagine. We give more to Jesus now than we've ever given. Yet I feel like we have more than we've ever had. How's that work? I don't know. But somehow God opens up the windows of heaven and he just pours out blessing on us. So I don't know what the step of faith is you need to take if it's simply dedicating everything to the Lord or it's the whole way down of learning how to save and invest, I don't know. But somewhere along that six-step process, everybody in the room sits. And you get to go out of the room today 
and decide if you're going to do what God's word says or just let it go in one ear and out the other. I love you guys. Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for our church. Thank you for the generosity in our group. Thank you for the uh, um, ears to hear of the people in the room who will hear your truth and will go out of here and put it into practice. God, I'm not a fool. I know that everybody won't have ears to hear. But thank you for the one, the two, the three, the eight, the whoever are here today that have heard the truth from your word, have recognized their own empty gas tank financially and are committed to go out of here and live your way from now on. Thank you for them, God. Give them the courage because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard to put it into practice. They need your help. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.